This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Heisch. Hello to everyone. Nader Davit. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Ben Nelson. Ben, do you want to say hi? Hi. Good morning, everyone. Now, you're from Lambda School, which is kind of an interesting thing that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Are there other things that people should know about you? So, yeah, I was a software engineer from Utah. And uh, yeah, I love to ski and get up in the mountains. And uh, but now I'm living out here on the Bay Area. Yeah. Utah. I don't know about people from Utah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's jump right in and, and talk a little bit about Lambda School. I kind of want to make this a little bit broader discussion about boot camps and people getting into code. But I think explaining what Lambda School is and how you guys operate is probably going to inform the discussion fairly well. So do you want to just kind of give us an elevator pitch for Lambda School and explain why you operate the way you do? Yeah, so um, I was a lead instructor at a code boot camp, uh, part-time one for a while. You Which know, one? It was Dev Mountain in Utah. Dev Mountain, yep. Out of their Salt Lake program. And, you know, they, they were doing some things right, but, you know, part-time program, it's hard to get people up to speed, you know, in three months. And, uh, you know, just kind of the, the boot camp space in general is trying to address the problem of, you know, adults trying to get re-educated and then, you know, and then there's just companies need more engineers. And boot camps, some of them are, are you know, are, are pretty good and, and a lot of them, you know, not so much. And we kind of worked backwards from a boot camp. I thought, okay, like where are the deficiencies and what's really the, the sweet spot between, you know, like a four-year, you know, full-on CS degree and, uh, you know, in a three-month boot camp. And uh, that's where we kind of settled on Lambda School. So with Lambda School, it's uh, 30 weeks long, so seven months um, instead of your typical three-month model. Um, and then we also go deeper into computer science fundamentals. So it's quite a few more hours, go a lot more in depth. The students get exposure to multiple stacks. So, so we tried to make this more, more in depth, more intense, but because it's 30 weeks long, you know, that it's, that's a more expensive course to run. It's difficult to charge more upfront for that. Uh, so what we did is we, we came up with this income share agreement model. And what this does is that our students, they don't pay upfront, they pay once they're employed. And it's great too, because it's it, it aligns our incentives with our students. Um, it makes it so people that otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to attend a program like this, you know, they don't, they don't need to put a deposit down. They don't need any upfront money. They just need to be willing to work hard. And we made it online. So it's, it's live, structured, online. And you know, so we have students all over the United States and we're launching in the United Kingdom at the end of the year. Awesome. That's really cool. I don't want you to bad mouth uh, dev mountain or anything but it, it seems like they follow the traditional boot camp model and that works for some folks but uh, yeah I, I don't know if i completely follow what the real issues were other than maybe that it was part time for the students you were working with and that makes it really hard to really focus in and get where you need to go to get a job yeah like three months part-time that's it's just really hard if you don't have you know, some type of a technical background coming into it. And, you know, we, we did see quite a bit of success, you know, students that would come through, but, but it, it was a grind. It was, it was really, really hard for the students, but yeah, it's there, you know, the full-time program is, you know, is much more doable. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that it's online. Is it only online or is there also like an in-person part of that? Yeah, so we're 100% online. Uh, we started to, we, we wanted to be online first. Our company's remote first as well. We decided just to, to own it. Um, this is something that probably wouldn't have been possible, I mean, four or five years ago. But now with Slack and Zoom, like we use Slack and Zoom, all, like that's that's our classroom. And yeah, it, it makes it, it, it helps with recruiting too. So we're able to find great instructors that you know, maybe don't want to live in the Bay Area anymore, want to be able to actually own a house. So they move back mm -hmm. home and, and uh, you know, we're able to, yeah, find a lot of good instructors that way. So that's pretty interesting. I follow Alston Allred, and I guess that you work closely with him, I'm sure. But he's he's like really, really good at, at being in the social scene, I guess you would say. I don't really know to how to explain it. He seems to do a really good job, though, of getting the word out. I mean, I know that I've, I've seen him mention that you were a part of YC in 2017. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, summer 17. 
So like how long was uh, Lambda School around before that and how has that affected Lambda School? Yeah. So Austin Allred on Twitter. Yeah. He's my co-founder. Absolutely brilliant <laughs> when it comes to like, you know, Twitter and social media. I mean, you would not believe how much value like Twitter has brought to our company, just like with recruiting and, and you know, finding investors and, and just like positive PR. I mean, it, it's been amazing. But yeah, so Austin and I, you know, we both grew up in a, you know, the same kind of smaller town in Utah. Uh, anyway, he, he was out in the Bay Area working at, at LendUp. And, uh, you know, I've been working at Dead Mountain. And uh, he had uh, started up this uh, online school teaching uh, functional programming. That's where Lambda School came from. It was just like some like little paid class, kind of like a Udemy model. And then, then his co-founder at the time bailed. But they, uh, you know, Austin's a brilliant uh, uh, marketer and, and had several thousand people signed up for a free class that they had going. Um, and he needed somebody to teach it. Uh, so reached out to me and, you know, and kind of at the drop of a hat, I was able to jump in and, and teach this Python class that, that they were doing. And yeah, so we, uh, we were both working full-time jobs. I was a software engineer who was working, you know, at Lenda doing growth marketing. And, and just on the side, we, we built up this, uh, this following. We were able to get up to uh, over 10,000 students in these just totally free classes we were doing in the evenings. And yeah, and then we, we started doing some paid classes, some paid upfront classes and uh, um, using those, you know, that, that pool of 10,000 students that we had, we were able to get some of them to come in and pay upfront for some different classes that we did and, and, you know, got enough revenue. We were able to bootstrap it. I was able to quit my job, go full time on it. And, you know, we both had always wanted to do Y Combinator. I mean, you know, they're the, they're the experts when it comes to starting a new company. And so as we we're going through the application process, you know, something we were thinking about was, you know, how does this scale? Like uh, what we're doing right now, how do we tr- take this from just like a, a normal boot camp, um, and how do we make it special and unique? And, you know, one of the things is online, um, just cause we can, we can scale better. And, and with technology now we can provide a, you know, a great experience, you know, that could be comparable to, to being in a classroom and, and in many ways better. And then the other thing was we, in conversations with these thousands of people we had in the free classes, trying to get them to sign up for our paid ones, you know, there were so many people that wanted to do it, they just couldn't afford it. And debt was just way too much risk, you know, to take that debt on. And if it doesn't work out, they're stuck with debt. And that's where we came into this idea of an income share agreement where we could, you know, increase top of funnel. And then also it would expand, you know, allow us to help a lot of people that wouldn't, didn't have these opportunities otherwise. And so those were like the main ideas that we, we pitched when we went into Y Combinator and said, hey, we're gonna do this online. Because we're flipping the payment model, we can make the course longer, be more of a premium offering and fill, you know, hit kind of a sweet spot between a boot camp and a CS degree. And then we'll use an income share agreement that, you know, incentivizes the the school to really perform well for the students. And yeah, we were, we were I think we were kind of on the bubble. They uh, interviewed us, I think, twice as many times as they typically interview, uh, you know, a candidate, brought us in a bunch, uh, decided to bite. That's how we got in and it was a great experience. That's really cool. Yeah, you mentioned the scalability. And it's kind of like when I think of Y Combinator, I think of them investing in companies that have the potential to scale, you know, but I don't know if that's always the case, or if that's just my, my perception is, is, is wrong. But this doesn't seem to fit in that category. Uh, but now that I, I didn't know you were online only, actually. So now that I know that that kind of makes a little more sense. But also it doesn't uh, do, you, do you all have any other like plans for the company other than kind of being a school? Yeah, so we're starting with software. You know, the internal analogy that we like to use is, you know, Amazon started with books because that was the, you know, easy first thing to start with. But then eventually we want to branch out and, and teach lots of different topics. So, you know, so, so tech is the, is the clear first step because there's a proven market there on both sides. Then, uh, you know, nursing is something that we're looking at. Um, there's, there's a few others uh, as well. Interesting. I, I, I kind of want to dive back into uh, just getting people into programming and things like that. I mean, what's your placement rate for people? Yeah, so right now, you know, it, it fluctuates. And one of the nice things about having our, our models, you know, incentivized is that it, you know, like we don't get paid if our students don't get jobs. And so, right. um, you know, so, and we launch it in the very beginning too, we made the decision to launch a new class every month. So our classes started overlapping pretty quickly. And um, what that allowed us to do is to quickly iterate. So our first class, um, you know, first couple classes, you know, it was like, like 83% was, you know, was the very first one. And then, you know, we had the some that were in like the, the mid sixties, seventies. And so that's kind of where it's fluctuating that the goal, the main like objective that, that our company is focused on right now for 
um, you know, for this next quarter, the big push is, uh, you know, is 90% higher than 90 days, you know, and that's, it's a bit of a moonshot. And, mm-hmm. and if you look at the SIR, like CRRR, like reporting for most, boot, like for the boot camps that do report there, you know, a lot of them like Hack Reactor, you know, they're, they're sitting in the mid sixties. So it's something that we hired a full-time business development guy who's out there. And, you know, we have some companies that have, uh, you know, that are starting to come back for repeat hires. We have a couple companies that have hired, you know, one's hired eight, one's hired seven, you know, so it's, you know, initially, there's there's a little bit of a, a stigma that we have to fight against and our brand and it doesn't have any weight because you know boot camp grads to an extent have been seen as like like it, with some companies you know that they, they kind of look down a little bit or turn the nose up at, at boot camp grads and and mm-hmm. you know we get kind of lumped into that same category and you know and not all boot camps are the same and so i don't want to you know paint the entire industry as um you know as, as subpar it's just there's a there's a wide a very like wide scale of, of quality there. And so, you know, but now we're, now we're beginning to position ourselves as uh, you know, on the top end of that, we're getting repeat hires from companies and um, you know, strong NPS scores. So uh, yeah. Ben, one question. So this is a new education model, right? And I think that these boot camps they sell that they're much more like hands-on, Right. Mm-hmm. One thing. One thing that we uh, complain a lot from uh, about universities is that they're very like disconnected from the real world, from the real working world. A lot of the time, right? You go to a university course, and like the teachers are not in the market. Like it's disconnected, right? You leave the university and, and you yeah. say like, "Oh, I'm really not prepared. I just have like a piece of paper." A lot of this is, of course, is a cartoonistic version of. Uh, but it's a real thing. So how can you make sure when you are teaching a lot of people, how can you make sure that your course is going to like be relevant for the years to, to come? Yeah. You know, sometimes like investors will ask us like, you know, how do your graduates compare to CS grads? And, you know, we, we can't compete on the, the four years of depth, um, you know, that a lot of them get. And, you know, and we can't teach the same, the same depth and, you know, operating systems and, and, and all that. Like we can do a little bit, but really where our strength is, you know, we don't have tenured track research PhDs teaching our classes. You know, all of our instructors are senior level to, you know, to VP level engineers at their previous companies that have been working hands-on for, you know, I, th- I think the, the least experienced one probably has like seven years of work experience. So it's, you know, so they're all experienced software engineers that have actually done it and they've used these things in practice. So that really informs it. But yeah, as far as a, like keeping up to date with the community. I mean, that's something that we recruit for. We make sure that the instructors that we hire are, you know, that are passionate, involved, the types of people that, you know, we're contributing to open source projects, the types of people who are going to meetups and, you know, and we pay for them to go to conferences and, you know, we really want them to be on, on the cutting edge and, um, you know, cliche term, but, but yeah, that's, you know, that, that is actually one of the areas where um, we feel that we can't compete you know, with CS degrees is that we give, you know, a seven months, 30 week, it actually comes out to about one year of college hour wise of, of focused training on relevant skills. Like we work from the job backwards um, instead of necessarily starting from like a pure, like first principles, bottom up uh, type of Mm -hmm. approach. Yeah. I I think you've got a major disadvantage there hiring these people out of the industry because, you know, oh my gosh, you know, these, these tenured PhDs, you know, they have, Absolutely no idea what it's like to work in the industry. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. I got my four-year degree in computer engineering, and I can tell you that I had a grand total of two professors who had worked out in the industry. Two. Yeah, that's crazy. And, I mean, it was ridiculous, right? And yeah. it, it's a fairly well-known university here, and they do put out good CS grads. And, you know, I was in the engineering department, so I got to split my time between uh, electrical engineering and computer science. But still, I mean, it, I don't know. I tend to see less and less value in the four-year degree. I mean, it shows that you have a certain level of discipline. You probably know the theory better than people who are going through the boot camps. But, I mean, it's insane that they put people through four years and then they get out there and they still have to go through a whole bunch of on-the-job training before they can actually be really useful to the companies that hire them. Yeah, exactly. You know, and every university is different. Like you look at MIT, you know, and they're they're a lot more, you know, hands-on and they're coming out, you know, and doing lots of hackathons, things like that. But like, yeah. you know, when I was studying CS in college too, I mean, my one adjunct professor was the best professor I had, yeah. you know, because he was an engineer, you know, that they brought him to teach. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a mixed bag, you know, with when it comes to universities and trying to stick to a static four-year model, like, I'm not sure that, you know, that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not going to 
you know, totally, uh, I don't want to say this, but like, I don't want to like, you know, shoot down the whole, like, you know, higher education, like, you know, that's not, it's not bad. Um, and no. getting this degree is like a mark that, you know, that you do know some yeah. basics and you know how to work hard, but, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because like, you know, the four-year degree is spread across so many different job titles and so many different professions. Every profession is different. And um, when you look at like each one, can you really in 2018 lump everyone together in a set amount of time for a set amount of skills? Like it just doesn't really kind of make sense. I think we're going along again with like a model that was created a long time ago. That's kind of just um, in people's heads. It's kind of the normal thing to do. And that's just kind of what they're used to doing. But I think one of the reasons uh, that we're seeing that computer science is harder to keep up with is just because everything changes so fast and, and, and what we're doing in the real world. It might not change and th- the theory behind everything might not change, but the actual implementation and the abstractions oh, yeah. that we work with and the languages. Um, and then to get something new into a computer science program at a typical university, it's a very bureaucratic process. So by the time something gets in there, it's outdated anyway. You know, and what you're talking about, Natter, it's funny because I think a lot of the like computer science fundamentals don't change that quickly, but I mean, 10 years ago, this iPhone (laughs) was a brand new thing, right? Uh, You know, and now we're talking about AR and VR. We're talking about IOT. We've got a a, a zillion different devices that you can write software for. I I mean, you can write it for a thermostat and a coffee maker. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. And so, I think that's where we're seeing these things change is that, yeah, the fundamentals of good software are generally applicable everywhere, but I mean, they're just, they're not teaching you at that level. And, and like you said, you know, by the time they get around to talking about it, even, you know, I think some universities finally have like a web development class. Hello, it's not the nineties anymore, you know, but at the same time, I mean, you know, yeah, you get a lot of the fundamentals. You spend a lot of time in those classes. Of course, I also spent a ton of time screwing around in college. But, you know, it's just interesting. And I wonder a little bit, too, though, if my bias comes out of the fact that I see boot camp grads, most of them were pretty motivated to even get involved in one in the first place. And so I wonder if you get a different caliber of people, you know, where it's not a 20-year-old who's expected to show up at the university and come out of it four to six years later. Yeah, it took me six years to get my four-year degree, you know, versus, you know, people who are like, look, I need, I need a change. And they're going in and they're really motivated to make a career out of it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think I have some bias here, especially since I don't feel like my degree really prepared me for what I wound up doing. You know, the flip side is, is that there is value. And for some people, they need kind of the regimented process that you go through at a university. Yeah. Well, and, and fortunately for you too, you know, being in Utah, you know, you probably didn't have much student loan debt, if any, you know, when you finished college. And, and yeah, I didn't have a lot. Yeah, and, and Wait, like, why is that? <laughs> why is that? Utah's well, really yeah, I don't know anything about Utah and all this cool. This sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I went to a, a church-run uh, university, and the tuition was uh, comparatively low to the to the point where I could work part time at the university and pay my tuition most semesters. Um, and then I also uh, was on the student council for the College of Engineering my senior year, and that was half tuition. So, you know, I found ways to make it work, but I graduated with like four or five grand in student loan debt was all. My take on, on this part, I'm also not a CS graduate, right? So I, I don't stop studying. Like sometimes we say that maybe CS degrees are not very important, things like that. And it, sometimes it sounds like you're against knowledge, but like the, the fundamentals, the theory, it's not that. Like I, I don't stop studying. I study every day. But I believe that the order of putting you into the workplace first and the fundamentals coming after, like, I think that's an order that I think makes more sense. Most of those fundamentals, you're just like, they're just thrown at you when you were like 19, 20 years old. You don't know, like, you don't know why, why those things are for. After like one, two, three years working with the database, and then you start making questions. Then you start to let me understand this a little bit. Like, oh, now I see. Like one year working with like Docker, and then you're like, oh, how does uh, OS like actually works? I think this is a, a much richer knowledge in the in the end of the day. Like when you put the practice before the theory, that means that usually you see you feel the problems before actually looking at the solutions. You're throwing like a bunch of solutions 
And then you go to the world, you find some problems, try to apply some of that. So I, I like this order of putting people like to work, work knowledge, go there. Like this is web dev, you're learning JavaScript, React and stuff. And then after you are working for one year, it's like, mm, how does this GPU thing I'm doing in CSS, like what is a GPU? And then you start from that. I think that it's uh, every time I learn theory after like understanding what problem I'm actually trying to solve, what problem did, did like generate that theory, I think I, I learned much better than the other way around. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. I mean, I took operating systems classes and yeah, I know how the operating system works because of that, or at least parts of it, where I just never used it in my web development career. So that's fair. And the universities are where they're doing a lot of the research that informs the field going forward. So there are definitely things to be said about that. Yeah, like, so something that, like, so that's that's exactly what we focus on, like, at Lambda School. Like, we start with, you know, we start with JavaScript, um, but then they learn front-end web development. So they're, you know, they're, they're working on things that are interactive, that are visual, um, and that is that is so much easier for a new student to get into and enjoy. And then, you know, and then we teach big O and data structures, you know, three months later, you know, once they've, you know, got in and they understand it and they're not confused about, you know, like, you know, the, all, like the different syntax and, you know, and stuff like that. And it definitely works a lot, you know, a lot better for our students to work with that model. You know, and the other thing to look at, um, uh, something I, you know, I like to tell people is, is if somebody were to come through and do the seven month Lambda school program and, you know, and then let's say it takes them, you know, five months to get a job, you know, and that's, that's like below average, you know, for, for five months, but so they, they come to the program, they get into a job and then we add on three years of work experience. So now, you know, take that student after that four-year period, compare them to a CS degree, you know, have three years of paid experience, you know, you, you didn't have any student loan debt. And you know, I mean, you had your income share, but that's all paid off and done by then, you know, and then compare that to someone who's just now finishing with a CS degree. Maybe you didn't get the same social experiences and all that. And so maybe this isn't appropriate for an 18-year-old if that's what you're looking to get out of it. But for an adult who's trying to get into a new career, I mean, it's, you know, you're miles ahead. Holy um, cow. Yeah, that's completely. Yeah. That's a completely interesting take on this. I haven't really thought of it that that way. But when you put it in, when you frame it that way, and it's actually absolutely true, that's kind of what is going to happen. You're right. That's there's no comparison, especially taking into consideration the student loan debt that people have these days. Yeah. So I mean, we've kind of been talking about college degree versus boot camp, and you know, and I've I've kind of been negative about the college degree, but I think I think it does have a place. I want to change tactics a little bit, though, and I want to talk a little bit more about just people coming into the field. So who do you see applying to the boot camps? I mean, is it generally, you know, 20-somethings that decided not to go to college and then it's like, you know what, I don't want to be an auto mechanic or something, or maybe they did get a degree and figured out they didn't want to be an accountant or a lawyer, or are you seeing people that are a little bit older, you know, that have already had a career or retirees that are trying to have a second career? I mean, who are you seeing come at you? Yeah, so it's a mixed bag. So we see a little bit of everything. It's pretty concentrated around people who got into their career, like they've been working for, you know, five, 10 years, they don't like what they're doing. And, you know, and they want to switch. So, you know, you get, you know, smart people that, you know, maybe they're doing construction, and they don't like doing that anymore. And they want to get into software engineering, you know, they, you know, or there's people who, you know, they studied finance in college, and, you know, and they hate their life now, you know, and, you know, working a finance job. And so they want to switch it, like you get some of that, you know, but yeah, we get we get some college students, you know, that they come and do this, you know, instead of college, or what what often happens is they'll take a semester off, do our course, and then they never go back, because then they're employed. Interesting. Seen that happen a couple times. But yeah, it's it's more definitely more adult you know retraining and eventually our, our marketing focus and I think will shift to uh, you know trying to 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 bleed more students away from you know from universities more of that demographic but but the nice thing though about older people who have families who you know like work in their construction job you know they you know they're desperate and and they you know are hungry and they're willing to work hard and you know extremely motivated you know we had this guy recently who you know $20,000 is you know what he was making you know he comes through the lambda school program you know 9 months later he's uh, making um, it was like 85k and you know we just remember talking to him and he was just you know, crying how and and saying how his daughter could have her own bedroom now. You know, and it was just it's just really cool to see this this upward mobility that we're facilitating for a lot of these people that you know that don't have a strong or, or just you know didn't 
make the right career choices early on. And, you know, so, so we get a lot of that people that are, you know, a little further on that, that want to shift and do something better. That makes sense. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. How many students are you able to take on every however long it takes people to get through your program? Yeah, so our, our philosophy is, I mean, so you look at Stanford, MIT, Harvard, you know, Berkeley, their CS programs, it's a, a lot of the, 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 the value comes from the, the gating and the filtering. And so they get this positive selection bias where they have, you know, all the top students that apply, they skim the top off that. And, you know, and so some of the value comes from, from, you know, closing that gate, you know, we don't want to operate in that capacity. So we set a high bar and a high standard, and then we're willing to take everyone who can reach that because we're online. We don't have to buy new buildings. We just have to hire new teachers. And so if we have an, an extra large class that's coming up, we'll divide it out into sections, make sure we have another teacher that's hired, um, you know, hire additional TAs, et cetera. So we can be flexible on the staffing, but really it's like we set a standard and then we try to get as many people above that high standard as possible. It'll be like a Stanford said, everybody with, you know, a 30 ACT, you know, and a 3.8 GPA can come now. And then we'll just make room, you know, like, like without sacrificing quality, you know, but, but, you know, adapt to, to make sure that everyone can get in. So that's more of our approach. So we spend a lot of time and money training people before the course to get them to where they can meet our standards to enter. Right now, we, we only accept about 5% of applicants just because we do have pretty high standards and most people just get bored of it or, or you know, or give up before they, before they reach that point. Um, Cause it's, it's a lot of work. It, it's kind of like the first CS class in college. It's, it's kind of like, that amount of work and, and difficulty before you can get in. And, you know, and that may change going forward, but that's that's our approach right now. That makes sense. I wonder a little bit what the differences are between like a fully online boot camp like yours versus, you know, Dev Mountain where they actually show up to a building and sit in the desk and have in-person instruction. Do you, do you think there's some trade-offs there? Yeah, there, there's pros and cons for sure. You know, so there's, you know, a creative energy that you experience, you know, when you're in the same room with people that, you know, that's really hard to duplicate online, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, you know, there's some of that magic that, you know, that you miss out on. But in some ways, you know, by doing it online, I mean, there's a lot of really convenient things that we can do. You know, lectures are, you know, it's easy to record lectures and content so students can go back and review everything. Because it's online, you know, they have access to a, to a larger community, you know, that they're, that they're baked into, you know, right from the very beginning. And so, you know, so, so, so they get a lot of positive interactions that way. But, but yeah, you know, there are some trade-offs. There's a lot of efficiencies that we gain, you know, from doing it online. But yeah, there is some stuff that you miss. But um, I think overall, as technology improves, I, th- I think the cons will be minimized. But yeah. I'm kind of curious about the curriculum. Um, I know you, you say you focus on kind of what companies are hiring for, but is there just a set curriculum that everyone kind of uh, uses every like semester or whatever kind of, however you group your students? I'm not sure if you do that by semester, but like, how do you come up with that curriculum and how often is that curriculum revamped? And I'm also kind of curious what you are teaching right now too. Yeah. So right now we're teaching full stack web development, iOS development, Android development, um, data science, and uh, UX uh, design. And so those are those are the five different courses that we and have. Those are all separate courses. Yeah, all separate courses, um, different faculties, and yeah. So we work backwards from hiring partners. So for example, I mean, this is something that like this week um, we have a lot of hiring partners that are willing to very interested in well committing to hiring a significant number of our graduates if we can spin up Java portion of the course. 
And so now we're looking at, you know, a Java track, you know, that will fit in with like the full stack web development uh, course. And, we, you know, we try to keep, um, you know, a pulse on, on, you know, what's, what's happening and, you know, what needs to be taught. So right now with our full stack web course, it's full stack JavaScript initially, um, you know, so we teach React, we do Redux you know, that the, the 20 tools that go along with that, you know, and then uh, Node Express on the back end, that's the first thing. Um, and then, uh, and then we do teach Mongo. Um, but then we, you know, so that's, that's kind of, you know, standard bootcamp fair. Um, then after that, we move in and we teach Python, Postgres, and, uh, you know, t- teach a different back end, because um, that's something where there's a lot of different, you're not going to see a ton of variation on the front end. I mean, okay, like maybe Vue or React, you know, or maybe like it's an older Angular thing, but like, that's a little more consistent. But then on the back end, like there's just, pretty wide, you know, flavors of, of languages that you can encounter. And so we try to give them a, a totally different, you know, stack. Um, so they're exposed to something that's very different. Yeah. And then, and then it's, and then we go through a CS fundamentals after that. And so computer architecture and operating systems and, you know, data structures and algorithms and yeah, like networking even, um, you know, they learn C at that point. Um, and so they, they, they dabble in that to give them some more technical depth. Also heavily project focused. So when they finish up with that, um, they're working on team like projects. And so um, by the end of the course, um, it's they, they have five or six hosted um, projects that they've worked on collaboratively. And that's and that's really where everything gets solidified. And that's what helps get their foot in the door with, with hiring partners. So with Lambda School kind of paying the way for them to kind of get in there and then after they graduate, they pay their way. What happens when someone like starts and they drop out? Are they accountable for that? And how do you kind of uh, vet people to kind of get the type of people that wouldn't drop out? Yeah. So when we first got started, the the thing that people thought would kill us is dropout rates. You know, that was the first big hurdle we had to overcome. You know, and, and initially we had pretty high dropout rates. I mean, we had, you know, up to like 40%, you know, in, in one of our classes. Um, and uh, just because it's hard and you can close your computer and walk away. Through different things we're doing, we use a mastery-based progression system now. So if a student, um, if they don't master, uh, like if they don't score 80% or higher on a, on a week, um, then, uh, then they repeat that week. And so then uh, the, the idea is that, Nobody finishes the course unless they have mastered and like badged on, on every single topic that we that we teach. And this makes it so students that normally would get overwhelmed and get behind, they get a repeat a few times, maybe on, on something that they struggle with and and uh, students love it. You know, and that's so now our, our dropout rate is now below 10%, but I mean, 5% for, for some of our classes. But but yeah, so with the actual income share agreement and those terms, they have a, like a grace period in the beginning where they can drop out, you know, for no penalty. I think it recently changed. So I don't, it's like two to four weeks or something like that initially. After that, for every week they stay on, they they would owe a prorated amount. Uh, stayed on for two months, um, they would owe um, uh, like part of the income share agreement, not the full amount. Um, once they've been going full time for um, for over fifteen weeks, then um, then they're uh, bound to the entire income share agreement if they drop out. I mean. It's they're only paying if they are making fifty thousand dollars or more, you know, in a job that relates to the skills we taught. So, I mean, a lot of the people that do drop out, they're going back to their construction job or something like that. So it's you know, so they're not they're not going to be on the hook anyway. But yeah. So where do people get stuck then? I mean, at what point do people drop out or you know they start? Yeah, Redux. <laughs> um, <laughs> it it changes and and uh, that's something that we look at. I mean, like maybe we have an instructor you know, that isn't doing a good job. Um, so like we had, you know, an instructor that we let go, um, you, you know, and, and the impact on that week, you know, you can see the, you know, the dropout rate bump up a little bit, you know, compared to normal, or maybe there's a certain lesson, you know, so like Redux is, is one that we had to like, you know, really look at and figure out how to simplify React as well. Um, like the first time they hit React, because going just from like JavaScript, HTML, and CSS right into React is, is pretty steep for somebody coming from from zero. And so that's something we had to like simplify, spread it out over a few more days, you know, take a few things out and like move to later in the course. And but yes, like React, Redux, those were some, some gatekeepers. And um, by the time we got to the really hard stuff at the end of the course, like they were like, you know, Battle, pro- battle proven by that point and willing to uh, stick it out. Because it's, it's a different type of a model too, because it's, it's full time all day, you know, focused on this stuff. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty intense and it gets a little overwhelming to keep up with. And so we have to, you know, provide a lot of emotional support and coach our students. Yeah, I found this subject really interesting, actually, because like I live in Mississippi and um, I've actually, I started a coding school here about five years ago called Code South Labs. And um, I ran it for about two and a half for three years and it never really went anywhere. But um, 
we did uh, JavaScript, did PHP. We did, uh, I think we did Angular 1 back then. And we did a little bit of React Native towards the end when it was just coming out. And we never really were able to kind of get the number of people to come. And we even did free classes and we would still only have like three or four people. And I think the problem was uh, that we were in Mississippi, first of all, and there just aren't that many people here that were, that were, uh, saw the opportunity in it, I guess. But also, you know, scaling it is not an easy thing to do. Like, like if you're in, in New York or San Francisco, you might have a, quite a few people to kind of pick from a pool of people there. But the fact that you're virtual kind of is a really, really interesting take. And I assume that you all kind of had to, to overcome a lot of or solve a lot of new challenges that hadn't been solved before, I guess. I know a lot of companies have attempted to do kind of like virtual online uh, classroom training. But uh, when you're working with this type of, you know, when you're working with computer science and programming, a lot of the, the answers that um, I've been able to get have been like from working directly with someone. So I'm kind of curious, like what big hurdles that you've had to overcome to kind of fine tune the, the training model or the actual teaching model to kind of get people to the point where they were able to learn and interact with the uh, instructors without overwhelming the instructors. It's a totally different type of experience. And there was a lot of, a lot of experimentation that we had to do. And yeah. And I mean, it's uh, you know, one big problem after another, you know, and that's, that's our life right now. Um, you know, we're starting a business, but you know, like, yeah, like, so dropout rates, um, that was one of the big ones. And uh yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, the, the very first big problem was growth and, you know, how do we get people in seats? Can we prove that we can, you know, find demand for this? And, you know, that's the very first problem that needed to be solved. And, you know, the way that we did it was, you know, through social media, you know, so we would, um, the guy who runs free code camp was really nice. He let us uh, post for our free, our free courses in a lot of their groups. Um, so we had a lot of people that signed up for that to, you know, to get our free content. Um, the, uh, um, you know, Reddit, uh, you know, it can be hit or, it can be kind of a, a pretty vicious group in there. Um, but, uh, but the, uh, learn programming subreddit, um, you know, we, uh, we posted a lot of our, of our free courses in there. Um, and, uh, we we're able to get a lot of people centered from there. So like, it was like finding the right online communities that matched, um, and like overlapped with what we were doing. Um, and you know, that helped us get people in seats and then the income share agreement helped us get them to commit to, you know, potentially paying us at some point. With the dropout rates, one of the big things that we had to had to worry about was the, the thing that solved that is the like accountability. So, things like we you know kind of suck when it comes to you know self discipline and you know and there's that like uh, you know entropy you know towards towards laziness that's you know that it's inherent in, in everyone and um, and so we had to bake in a lot of mechanisms to to really help people stay on task and be focused when they're alone at the computer and command T and enter and they're on Netflix, you know? And so we have, um, so we have to like take attendance, you know, we grade all their assignments. They're meeting with uh, TAs, uh, you know, throughout the day. Um, so we have a lot of TAs. We keep them, um, you know, really uh, tight ratio on that. So they, they get, a, you know, more hands-on help there. And then we block in, you know, face-to-face -face time where they're supposed to be in their seat, you know, at, beginning, middle, end of day, you know, things like that to, you know, help them stay there. And, you know, and, and then, yeah, with a tight, like attendance tracking. So like if they miss a class, you know, or miss part of the day, we have a student success person who like reaches out and, and was like, Hey, like, you know, I were you in class, we didn't have, know that you were going to be gone. Like just so they feel that, that they're noticed and then, you know, facilitating a positive community. Like those have been the big things. The, the next big one that we're working on now is just, you know, proving to employers that our graduates are worth hiring. And we're seeing a lot of momentum there and, and a lot of positive signals. And, and that's, so that's like the new, the new, uh, well, not the new, but that, like, that's the next like big thing that, you know, that we're, we're in the middle of solving right now is, you know, showing that, that, that a Lambda School graduate is worth hiring and that they can be a good software engineer. So I know some of your instructors. I met an instructor named Luis. Yeah, in Provo at Framework Summit. I don't mm -hmm. know what course he teaches, but he, he was really nice. And then Andrew Madsen teaches your iOS, one of your iOS courses. And uh, I know he used to work for Dev Mountain. Yep. And he's one of our panelists on our iOS development show on devchat.tv. How do you find these folks? How, how do you go about, and, and it seems like you, you have some ties here to Utah. Because both those guys live here in Utah, but yeah, how, how do you find your instructors? How do you qualify them? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, a lot of it's been through our network, you know, in the early days. But then, yeah, like uh, the the Hacker News, you know, uh, who's hiring, 
you know, just job postings, Twitter. So like Austin's Twitter, we get a lot of, you know, job applications that come through like tweeting open positions uh, mm-hmm. through that. We started out being fairly Utah based. I mean, about 25% of our company is based out of Utah um, just because uh um, so, so Caleb Hicks, who was also over the iOS program, yeah. Johnson, um, so the iOS program, you know, that, that, uh, was pretty incredible, um, at, at Dev Mountain and they had amazing results and, and, you know, and was doing really well. And several of them, you know, have moved on and now, now they're working for us. The nice thing is, you know, we're remote. So like we have engineers that are just off in the boonies, you know, a guy who used to work for Google that, you know, lives in, you know, a rural place up in Oregon. And it, it helps that we can recruit from anywhere. Um, you know, we pay good salaries, um, but it's uh, anyway, people can actually own a home because they're not in the Bay Area. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, Utah. I mean, I'm always amazed at the number of people that like are really good at software development that come out of Utah. It's kind of crazy, actually. <laughs> like even the people I meet in San Francisco, are a lot of times from Utah. It's a growing market. It's uh, yeah, yeah kind of funny. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And we're seeing companies either move out here or open satellite offices out here too from the Bay Area. So it's it's definitely an interesting market and a growing market. But you can drive down the freeway and you'll see signs for HP and Disney and stuff. And those are all, you know, technical programming jobs. So Yeah, it's something interesting. So with you being in, in Missouri, oh, Mississippi, I'm sorry. Uh, something that we were concerned about uh, initially is um, like placement. So like with, um, as it relates to geography. So like, you know, somebody who's in like, you know, North Dakota, like, are they going to be able to get a development job? You know, and is that going to be, is that going to be an issue? Um, and what we found is that uh, the, the graduates that we have in more rural communities oftentimes have an easier time finding a job than the people in the Bay Area or in New York. And because um, they have a much less competitive uh, labor market. So, you know, Kroger out in Tennessee, you know, they need to hire a bunch of software engineers, you know, and there's there's not a large talent pool to draw from. Um, and so, you know, so the, the person that we have there gets snatched up really quick. And we've seen that a lot. Um, and there's and quite a few companies are willing to pay for relocation too. Um, but that was something that was, that was interesting. We didn't expect that, but the rural students actually have a pretty good, uh, it's, it's a little easier for them to get jobs actually. That's spot on. There's so many people hiring here, but, um, in Mississippi, but the problem is there just aren't any people that grow up here that are in this industry. So like a lot of times they'll bring people from out of state to fill these positions or they'll just go and fill. Like, it's really, it's really interesting. Like if you, if you move here and you kind of, you can live here and, and you're, you know, you have the very low cost of living, you won't have a problem finding a job. But the problem is you may have uh, not even become into this industry if you're from here is the problem. So yeah, having a school like this is really cool. All right. Well, is there anything else that we should jump on talking about this stuff? If people want to apply to Lambda School, where do they go? Uh, go to lambdaschool.com. And if people uh, want to be an instructor? Yeah, so we have a careers page um, at lambdaschool.com as well. So um, yeah, I know we, we have a lot of engineers listening to this. You know, we're looking to hire a bunch of engineers. We're actually looking at hiring or hiring software engineers and we're hiring instructors. We are launching in the United Kingdom. So if there's anybody listening, especially who's uh, willing to work out of the out of the United Kingdom or that time zone, yeah, we're looking for a you know, program director right there right now. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Lucas, you have some picks for us? All right. I have a pick today. It's not only a technology, because I'm pretty sure you already cho- chose this technology as a pick, but also a practice. So I've been using Cypress a lot lately. I've been using it as a development environment for me, like working with front end. So this is my pick today. Like usually we, when we are developing any new feature, we are like changing code, it hot reloads and we go to the browser, like play a little bit, see if it's already what we want, go back to the code. Then after it's done, we're going to write our integration tests. So what I'm doing is that I'm almost doing like a TDD with integration tests now. 
So in this new project I'm, I'm working now, we set up Cypress. So I create the Cypress scripts to pilot the browser as I am building the, the feature. And I think that my productivity like is, is much better now. So this is my pick today. Try to look at Cypress as a, as a development environment. Try to automate your playing with the browser while you create the features. And in the end, when the feature is done, I have all those integration tests for free. So this is my pick today. Awesome. Yeah, I love Cypress. It's awesome. Uh, Natter, what are your picks? My pick is uh, egghead.io. And it's the fact not only that egghead is awesome, but I have a bunch of stuff coming out on egghead. So I've completed two uh, full-length courses, one on building uh, mobile applications with React and AWS Amplify serverless apps. I've also built uh, a full course on building serverless GraphQL apps using AWS AppSync. I'm also doing a course on Flutter that isn't completed yet, but it'll be a full like 15-course tutorial on building Flutter apps, um, mobile applications cross-platform using Flutter. And then I have a bunch of one-off courses and I'm actually taking suggestions. So if you have any ideas for one-off courses, these courses are going to be anywhere between 30 seconds to five minutes long. And they'll only be a single course or maybe at the most two or three together versus like a long uh, 10 or 15 course thing. But anyway, Egghead is a really great place to learn and kind of polish up on existing skills or add like new skills within, um, like if I kind of uh, compare it to Pluralsight, Egghead, you can get a lot of information in like a really short amount of time. So it's kind of more condensed than um, a plural site is. Nice. Yeah, I love Egghead. In fact, uh, John Lindquist actually lives within a mile of my house. So. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, the, the, again, the Utah, Utah thing again, right? Yeah. So uh, funny stuff. But anyway, um, in fact, the last time I saw him, I was at the church and uh, I think he was baptizing his son. Because <laughs> they were having the baptism at the church. You attend the same I, church? Uh, well, we're both uh, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so, you know, and, and most people in our area are. So uh, there's kind of a central church and then there are a bunch of satellite churches in our... It, it's what we call a stake and a stake just oversees a bunch of congregations. And that's where they have the baptisms and stuff is at that uh, stake center is what we call it. So. Cool. Yeah, so I was there for something else, and uh, I was just sitting out in one of the foyers, and uh, it was a Saturday morning, and that's when they do baptisms. So anyway, funny random story, but yeah, Egghead's awesome. They've got a ton of content, um, and so I'm I'm a fan. So let me jump in here with a few picks. Uh, one of the picks that I have, this isn't coding related at all, um, but I'm starting to... I'm starting to really get some clarity around what I want from devchat.tv which is nice. I mean, I've only been doing this for like nine years, but, uh, you know, finally figuring this stuff out. And, uh, really what I'm looking for is, is just the opportunity to help, uh, liberate software developers to build cutting edge software that makes a difference. And a lot of that just comes down to helping people get the skills and finding the tools and, uh, you know, those kinds of things to do what it is, whatever it is they want to do. So if they want a promotion, they want to be a team lead, or if they want to go write more open source software or blog, or if they want none of that and they just want to um, earn enough to be able to go home at five o'clock and play with their kids. I mean, whatever that is, you know, for, for people to kind of feel like they're free to, to do what they want to do. And one of the books that I've been reading lately just for my own thing is called Extreme Ownership. And it's written by a couple of Navy SEALs or former Navy SEALs. Uh, they fought in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And the, the book is just incredible. Um, they came back. People asked them to speak at their uh, company retreats and things. And it kind of turned into this business. And they put a lot of their knowledge into this book. And uh, it kind of trades off between their experience in Operation Iraqi Freedom and then uh, essentially, this is what we learned to SEALs, and here's here's how we've applied it in the business sector. And it, it's terrific. And I think a lot of times we fail to focus on building solid team leads and CTOs. And so we, we essentially promote a developer to that position and then don't actually train them on any of the skills they need to be good managers. And so uh, if, if you're in that position or if you're trying to develop some of these skills, this is a terrific 
book. A couple of other things I'm just going to throw out there. I am actually hiring. So um, I'm looking for somebody who can help me with the Ruby on Rails app that I've been building to manage the podcast stuff. I, I just I want to be able to focus more on this freedom idea. And instead, what I wind up doing is, you know, hammering on stuff that makes the processes run. And I don't have time to do all of that well anyway. So I'm looking for somebody to help with that. I'm looking for somebody who's interested in helping with selling and managing podcast sponsorships. And I'm also looking for somebody who's willing to write show notes. I'm looking for a couple of somebodies for that. So if you're interested in any of those, uh, just shoot me an email, chuck at devchat.tv. And uh, we'll set something up so that I can talk to you and see how that will go. Um, but yeah, the, those are my picks. Ben, what are your picks? Yeah. Um, so a tool that we've used that's really helped Lambda School scale well um, is uh, uh, it's called Airtable. So it's uh, kind of like parse API, the thing that, that used to exist, not anymore. Um, it's uh, like spreadsheets with like built-in APIs around it. And so we've been able to use that to, uh, uh, I mean, handle all of our like student tracking and things like that. Um, and then build some like simple, quick, um, you know, services that connect with it. So it's been really easy because there's a really nice uh, GUI that's in place. So our non-technical people can get in and work with the data, you know, create, read, update, delete, whatever, um, you know, do all the stuff that they need with the data. But then there's these generated APIs around the spreadsheets that we can then interact with in a dynamic way, which you, you wouldn't use it for like, you know, a massive like, you know, production application where you need like, you know, really consistent, um, like, like, like Facebook's not going to build off of it, you know, but, but, you know, for simple little projects and things that you're throwing up, it can be, it can be really nice, especially for as like an admin interface, Airtable. I think I've seen this before. I think somebody else I know was using this and uh, was sharing some of the spreadsheets for people to like enter data in and stuff. Yeah, so they have like forms and stuff that you can then send out that populate in and then, um, yeah. And and like you can use Zapier then as well with it. So then like to like glue it together with a bunch of other apps like and services you're using. Yeah, we didn't write any code for ourselves for like the first year and just used like Zapier and a bunch of other different apps to just kind of glue everything together and a little bit of a house of cards, but it actually worked really well. Um, we could spin stuff up pretty fast. Makes sense. All right. Well, if people want to find you online, where do they go? So Twitter and uh, maybe this wasn't the best Twitter handle, but I picked it a few years ago. It's a, it's a S U N J I E M I N D. So I used to live in Taiwan. So that's my Chinese name. <laughs> All right. Well, Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming, Ben. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great to meet you guys. And, um, you know, it was a, a fun discussion. Very cool to meet you too. I've, always, I've been following Lambda School for a while, so it's cool to kind of talk about it. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.